0: Guys, what's going on? Welcome back. This is Tyson. You're listening to the Pop Culture Podcast. And today, in for an absolute treat, I caught up with an old friend of mine by the name of Andrew Morgan. Now, Andrew and I, we met for the first time in 2017. I was living in London, and I just watched his documentary, which uh, just came across my recommended uh, resources. What do you call it? The Things I Should Watch on Netflix. It was called The True Cost I watched the documentary and, uh, man, it was uh, had a big impact on me. It made a real big difference to the way I went about buying my clothes. And uh, I just appreciated this guy's work. I, I like him. He's a creative. He's a filmmaker. He's a, a really interesting character. Now, I was trying to think of the best way to introduce him and I went to his website and they've got a way better introduction than what I could ever give. So let me just give you a quick rundown on this bloke before we uh, before we jump into it. So Andrew is an internationally recognized filmmaker focusing on telling stories for a better tomorrow. His experience includes, includes a broad range of work that spans narrative and documentary storytelling for various film and new media projects. His work has been filmed and released all over the world through HBO, Netflix, Hulu and Amazon Prime Video. The New York Times describes Morgan's unique style as gentle, humane investigations And Vogue wrote, it's evidence that each of us can act as a catalyst for change within our own lives and work together towards a greater good. He lives in LA with his wife Emily and their four kids. You guys are in for an absolute treat. Uh, This is the one and only, the great man, uh, one of my favorite filmmakers, Mr. Andrew Morgan. So what
1: are you gonna tell us tough guys? My usual,
0: zero, nothing. (laughs) I think it was four years ago that I, I spoke to you last I was sitting in a um in a cupboard next to a, a wi-fi router at the front of our apartments in London and I, remember. I, was, I was so yeah. excited to talk to you but I was also so embarrassed about the fact that you had agreed and uh and I, I had to confess that I was sitting in a cupboard at the front of our house so I was very <laughs> surprised that you agreed to come back on man so dude hey first of all great to see you and, and second of all thanks so
1: much for uh, for agreeing to uh to join me again of course man. Of course. I absolutely love it. And everything we do is so homemade too, so I think I'm drawn to stuff that's more uh more personal like that.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you are cuz I uh just before I hit record, I've been trying to deck out like a little studio just to improve the visuals of uh of what's it's nice going background.
1: on. Nice background. Like thank you. Oh, it's having I you got some Johnny work.
0: Cash, <laughs> you got some Bob Dylan.
1: I like it. I'm, yeah. trying to
0: make a, I'm trying to make a statement about how countercultural and cool I am. So um, I, hope that's, I hope that's coming across.
1: <laughs> it's definitely coming across. Yeah, it's loud and clear. I, I really, I'm getting that vibe for sure.
0: <laughs> oh, mate, if only I could drop the Bob Dylan hair like you've managed to do. Mine doesn't go yellow, it just gets <laughs> long. And uh, I tried to grow it out a little while ago, but I, I kept waiting for the point that it was going to look good. And my wife said, gee, it's much longer than I'd anticipated you growing it. I said, yeah, babe, I'm just waiting for it to reach the good point. She so goes, I'm pretty sure if it was going to reach a good point, we both would have realized it was there by now. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back to the uh, the short on the sides and, and just slicked back at the top. But man, I'm glad one of us can pull this off. Dude, yeah, I was looking at your, um, I was having a look through your website last night and I was just looking at the trailer of of, of all the videos and stuff that you have, of the documentaries that you put together. And as I was setting up this studio this morning, so I had a, originally I had like a nice little, I don't know the the technical name for it, but I had one of those nice little face, face lights. So this mm. side of my face is not dark because I've got the window over here I thought, what am I doing, man? This guy's a, a documentary <laughs> film. He's going to he's gonna be able to call my bluff in an instant. So to have a compliment about the set in the first one minute is a, is a good place to start.
1: You know, one of the, I remember one of the first um, years ago, like one of the first, it was Skype back then. And it was this, we were doing this video call with this uh, producer who was very, very famous. And I was very nervous to meet him. And I had spent some time in my office at that point, arranging some lights and everything and trying to make it look kind of nondiscreet. He gets on and like the first thing he says is like, oh, I really love how you put like kicker lights behind your shoulder there. <laughs> and I just wanted to die. Like I wanted to kill myself. I'd spent like all morning <laughs> trying to make it look casual. <laughs> and he called it out. <laughs> <laughs> I was
0: waiting for you, man. As soon as the video came on, I was like, please don't call my bluff immediately. <laughs> oh, dude. How's uh, how's things going in your way, man? Where Whereabouts in the
1: States are you based? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles. And, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, stuff's good, man. This is... Uh, I love winter in LA. It's really special. It cools down and, um, it feels like the city thins out a little bit around the holidays and we're going to stay in town through the holidays with our kids and, um, their school stuff will stop and we'll just get a lot of time to hang out together. So yeah, this is like one of my favorite times of year, honestly. Oh, that's awesome, man. I was
0: going to say, uh, yeah, it, it's nice when the tourists go away a little bit and you, uh, you have a little bit more freedom. I don't know. Are there, are there many tourists I'm, I'm trying to keep up with, uh, What's going on around the world? I know, I know LA's got a similar approach to these COVID things as, as what we're on yeah. living does in, in Melbourne in Australia. It's uh I think the tourist over here has pretty much just hit a uh, hit pause completely for the last 18 months.
1: Has it been similar over there? Like what's the vibe been in, in LA the last sort of couple of years? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think people come from like regional areas probably still. Um, like when we surf at the beach and stuff, you can tell like in summer months it'll get busier and winter it'll be but like this time of year maybe it's just partly the colder weather but especially the beach towns and uh, they just all empty out you know it's just kind of it's it's amazing i always think winter in la feels like how la probably felt like you know, thirty or forty years ago, like an oh, appropriate an appropriate population level <laughs> for the city.
0: <laughs> yeah, see, so I listen to too much Joe, Joe Rogan. I assume that everyone who once lived in LA is now in Austin, Texas, but there's still a few <laughs> people around. Yeah, nah, nah.
1: There's a few. Every time someone like we were just down in Texas, every time someone talks about that, I always am like, I have a very open-handed policy towards that. We have. Plenty of people to spare here still, so yeah, more of us can go to Austin. It's fine. Yeah, awesome, man.
0: You said you're doing a bit of surfing over there. I've uh, I've just moved to a little coastal town. It's called Point Lonsdale here in Victoria, and I moved partly because I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to learn how to surf. Secondly, because of the fact I've got a little 18 month old boy, and I thought it would be nice in the uh, in the fresh country oh, wow. air for him. So, what are you? Where are you doing your surfing, man? Are you uh, on on a little shortboard? You got a long
1: board, or what's the uh, what's the setup? I'm more of a longboard guy. Um, probably yeah I, I it's just easier it's probably lazier surfing but I've always kind of liked more of the and I'm a really amateur surfer too I mean I love it so much and I love being out there and um, one of my sons really likes being out there but yeah I don't want to put any illusion that I'm like killing it uh, the and the shortboard guys especially like we surf up in Malibu uh, a good bit and there's I mean there's just some of the best surfers in the world and it's it's so humbling to feel great about you know just making your way down a wave and then you look back and the next guy's like doing backflips and spinning yeah. around and- yeah. dude i feel like you and i would be good serve partners because uh it sounds like the moves that you're pulling
0: off on your board are very similar to me maybe slightly more advanced but there's certainly no there's certainly no backflips or heavy twists going on on my board it's more just the if i stand up hope my wife was watching and then
1: just <laughs> have them, have isn't them. that funny isn't that funny about surfing like isn't it unique where like the second you get a great ride one of the first things in your brain is like oh man is anyone on the beach watching that? like <laughs> yeah. did, did my kids see that did my wife see that? it is really funny it's, <laughs> it's really so, funny it's
0: so true i had no idea i was actually uh, i was going on a bit of a youtube run a couple of weeks ago i didn't realize that when the conditions were right yeah there was such good swell at the golden gate bridge just below there i saw i saw guys catching Legendary. barrels And it blew my mind. I thought that was just a big bay. I thought
1: it was known for Alcatraz and that was all. That's some of the coldest surfing too, man. Like some of those stories of, um, yeah, that water is cold up there and the air is cold. So like some of the guys that surf there year round are, um, it's like the guys that surf up in New York and stuff. It's just like a whole different universe of, yeah,
0: I I can't imagine it, honestly. I've been watching some of these uh, Wim Hof videos the last couple of years, really. And uh, it was funny because I, I've been thinking, all right, I'm going to expose myself to the cold. I'm going to get used to it. I'll go out in boardies when everyone else is in wetsuits. And through winter, I started, I'd go across the road. Uh, we've got a, like a nice little calm beach just to kickstart your day. So I'll go in, dive under. I've been for 30 seconds and be like, man, look, out, look how straight, like, like how strong you're getting. And anyway, there's a local group of female swimmers. They're about in their sort of 50s to 70s. And they come passing their speedos each morning. And they're in the water for about 45 minutes. And uh, they call themselves the mermaids. So they, they swam past me one morning they said, Oh, you're about to go for a swim? I was like, Oh no, no I've just finished, like without mentioning <laughs> the fact I've been in the water for 30 seconds. They said, oh, feel free to join us. But the it was just it was such a humbling <laughs> moment realizing that like my my teeth were chattering. Uh I was, you know, trying to hide goosebumps. And these these girls had just exposed themselves to 45 minutes without. Sort of blinking an eyelid, so I've got an appreciation for that cold water surfing. I've seen so many of those videos as well. Of, have you see the Arctic surfers, the guys who go yeah. out just into the yeah. uh, like, there's a mountain in the back with snow, and then there's yeah. like a polar bear which has been zoomed into. Not sure if it's just like a little bit of B-roll from <laughs> another location. <laughs> and then they're paddling out to catch these beautiful waves. I think, man, it's a, it's amazing what people put up with
1: just to uh you know to escape the to escape their office for a couple of hours. It blows my mind. And I guess you get conditioned to it on some level, but I feel like I've always, uh, yeah, I always have aired on the the colder side. So like then when we were, we got to film a couple years ago down in Costa Rica, and that was one of the first times I ever surfed in a place that was warm, like the air was warm the water was warm and you just, you didn't need anything. I, I don't know. Yeah. Because, you know, in California it's like the Pacific ocean is always pretty cold. Like even in the summer, it doesn't run hot. You know, it's like, it stays chilly. Um, and yeah, I always feel like I'm in a winter suit no matter what it is. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's man. just laughing riding by. <laughs> well, I always, always find it so comforting
0: because I used to live in Western Australia where the water's quite warm and uh, it's, it's well known for its shark attacks and it's just its presence of sharks. And I was like, you know what? I'm pretty happy not to surf over there where I am in Victoria, which is the East coast of Australia, not as cold as what the East coast of the the States get, but but still, during the winter, it might get down to 11 degrees. So I always feel more comfortable out there. Going, man, like thank God the sharks hate the cold. At least I don't have to worry about that. And then, dude, the beach I surf at—it's called Ocean Grove Beach. It's about five miles from my house. Just last week, there was a shark attack there for the first time in however long. It bit some chick's calf off. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy to stick into the skateboard for the next couple of months. I just, I just find I need to get out of the. Uh, I, I really enjoy. It. I'd be interested to hear hear from you as well because as a like a bloke who likes to direct a lot of his energies towards like cr- creative pursuits, I feel like a lot of the time my mind is just running with with ideas mm-hmm. and sometimes it just get so overwhelming in there with ideas. I'm like, all right, I need to get away from the screen. I need to just get out in nature. And it's nice because I don't have an Apple watch or anything that you connect with out there. So once I'm in the water, it's like, all right, I'm immersed in nature. Yeah. It's just me and my thoughts. I feel like if I can catch a couple of waves, have a good workout, I come back in and and and, and things just sort of, I don't know if you find the same, but things just sort of start to mellow out. The things that were stressing me out, all of a sudden, not all the time, but a lot of the time, might seem to to find their place. Like Bob Dylan, who we were talking about before, has a has a line in his in his autobiography where he's talking about when he writes a song. A lot of the time, his his vision gets so caught up in the lyrics to that song, he doesn't know like whether he's nailed it. So he goes, "I'll write a couple of songs and I'll, I'll put them in a drawer for a couple of months and just let them talk to each other." And I thought, Hey, what a, what a beautiful way to express what you're trying to do there. So I feel like every now and then when I'm out there, my thoughts just talk to each other a bit and um, you, you come in feeling more relaxed, but it's, it's such a nice escape from, from that constant creative pursuit of, of whatever
1: we're doing. Is that, is that part of the enjoyment to you or? hundred percent. And I mean, I, yeah, you nailed it. And I think that's the thing is like you, you can't, yeah. Like you, for a lot of creative people, I think you can't turn your brain off and there's a, that's really challenging. And I, I think, yeah, whether it's running or surfing or finding things that take just enough energy that not only do they burn off the edge of like that excess energy you wake up with every day, but also they just like, I think it's funny. I've heard more and more people talking about that. I think since, um, since COVID, like, I I think it's, it's always been something that I've struggled with. Like, it's always that, that those lines between creativity and mental health and, ups and downs and, you know, being a person who kind of can have mood swings and just kind of like creative energy. I don't know. There's a lot in that cocktail, but I think I've heard that from more and more people recently, you know, more and more people talking about just an overactive mind and especially getting to the end of the day and your mind just like still going and it's hard to like learn how to turn it off. So yeah, I feel like I'm like at the very beginning of learning how to do that stuff, but every time I do, you're right. It just, the, the returns are, so, so huge. I mean, so huge. Um, and it helps you. Yeah. It helps you kind of like step back. And I think that's what's magic about surfing is that surfing requires just enough constant attention that it's like, I'll get out of the water and I won't have thought about anything else while I was in the water. Like it, it, there's a little bit of danger. There's a little bit of focus. There's a little bit of thrill and a little bit of exercise. And so it's like an interesting combo, you know, mm. like, um, yeah, that, that, that ability of like learning how to turn your brain on. I mean, that is like, wow. If I could, if I could learn that, I would, I, that's
0: just such a pursuit. It's really interesting, man. I don't know about what it's like in, in WA, but I feel like every second person in Melbourne through COVID's become a Buddhist. <laughs> like their the mm-hmm. Headspace mm-hmm. app is, is really popular and there's definitely a rise in in, I guess Eastern spirituality is what it seems to be over here for whatever reason. Um, you know, there's a lot of, well, I guess for a lot of reason, there's a lot of people who are skeptical about structured, organized religion. And I guess our, our lack of exposure to, you know, a lot of the Eastern religions. And I, I guess maybe the, the beauty of just the unknown of it and and the effectiveness of it. I mean, I've, I've been meditating pretty regularly for a few years now, and, and i found that's been really helpful to to my own mental health for a lot of the reasons we, we just yeah. spoke about there, just, just realizing you don't have to be necessarily so closely attached to, to thoughts flying through your mind, but for whatever reason, it's—I uh, don't know why—it still surprises me when I hear that people like yourself uh, are trying to navigate the. I like that your use of the word cocktail of of everything that's going through your mind as as a bit of a creative. But but I, I look at your work, man, and uh, obviously I'm seeing the final product. But I've got a friend who reminds me a lot of you over here. Is I look at him and, and the vibe I get, and I don't know if this is true for you, but it's just me just labelling you. So feel free to correct me <laughs> is every, I feel like whenever he, he, he takes a step towards a project, it's always like a very well thought out. It's a, it's, a, it's a slower process. And as a result, I feel everything he does, even if it's not his best outcome, you can always tell it's quite quality work. And I think I'm on the other side of the spectrum where I'll throw a lot at the wall and just see what sticks. So I'm always really attracted to um, to that more, uh, what do you say? It's like a, a, a slower moving creative where you see the final product and you're like, oh my gosh, like I know that must've involved some level of restraint because there was 150 different steps you could have taken, but, but you chose to slow down and just take that next step and, and uh, man, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of Rob Bell. And uh, I, I can't remember I can't remember the name of the book. And I know you're pretty closely aligned with him. I've, I've watched The Heretic and, and watched a lot of his work, but I've blanked on the name of, of one of his books. But he was just speaking about how essentially what I just said, you, the only thing you can do is the next step. And you can, you can throw 100 things at the wall and do like an average level of quality. But if you, if you just focused on that next step, that next process, Getting that done to a higher level, then by the end of the time, by the time the the project's finished, it's going to look a lot better than what it would have done if you had just gone bang. How did we go? Like, what what's yeah. your process yeah. with the with the filmmaking, man? Because um, I was thinking, like, obviously, I heard about you the first time through the True Cost, and then I was excited to watch Heretic, um, and then I was I saw just last night actually that there's a there's a few more documentaries that have that have come out, which I'm excited to see. So I. I can't help but think that creative process of putting together a documentary is like songwriting. There's a million different directions you could take or or comedy writing. There's a million different, you know, potential avenues. Like how do you choose? How do you decide, all right, what is my next step without just getting (laughs) overwhelmed and, and not knowing what to do?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great way to ask it because I think in a lot of ways, it's sort of like the opposite in the sense that like, it's, in terms of getting overwhelmed, it's how I stay, It's how i keep from being overwhelmed because i think when i have a a project that is like a lens that i'm looking through it it kind of defines a period of my life and it defines like the way i'm taking in information and the way i'm thinking about things um i have something to do with it or have something to put it up against you know so when i start it's really more about like is there something i'm so incredibly curious about that it could hold my attention uh, for a year or two years, you know, whatever it takes, and and I think that's that's part of the answer is like, it can't be like I want to say something or I have this like brilliant idea or I like um, I'm not a very like proactive person in that way. Like Bob Dylan can sit down and just from nothing he can create like a you know, I there's something about especially to your question on documentaries there's a there's a very reactive interactive creative process to it where you're 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 searching for something. And you're also listening. I mean, the bulk of the time is, is really spent listening. And then you're, you're trying to find a way to weave some of those experiences and those voices into a whole, but it's like a really, I don't know. It's a very curiosity driven project. And um, it's not as perfect as it seems. I mean, you're right. Like you're seeing the final process. There's a lot of stuff I've tried that hasn't worked too. And there's a lot of stuff that I, I think has legs and, and doesn't, or, I think I'm really fired up about, and I'll sleep on it for a week and be like, "Nah, that doesn't, Um, or or other times, like, it'll be, I'll know I want to make something about something, but I don't know how, and sometimes for a long time, I won't know how, so, like, you mentioned the film that we did with Rob, and, you know, for a number of years, based on how I was raised, like, I was very interested in exploring um, evangelical Christianity in America specifically, and I just knew that that was something I wanted to explore, and I didn't know how to do it. Um, and then I met Rob and, and we started talking and it was like, oh, like his story is a really, that's, that's the vehicle. Now I can use that as a way to sort of like dig around in this world that I've always wanted to kind of dig around in. Um, so yeah, a lot of it's curiosity. And then a lot of it's just, a, it's just an amazing process to let things grow and breathe. And to your point, like time is a fascinating ingredient. So like when you start out on a project, we're in the middle of a, a documentary project right now. I've been filming with some of these folks for um, a few years now. And it's, it's just wildly cool to, to see life happen and to see, um, I don't know, there's something about that. You don't get on a scripted, when we do a scripted film, it's like, you know, you get a month of shooting or you get a very finite, like it's like it just shoots out of the gun so fast. With documentary, the patience and the time, to your point, it's, a, it's an incredible, yeah, when it's all said and done, it's just really, it's an incredibly fulfilling thing. It's such a good way to put
0: it. Like, I love the idea of a documentary just being watching life happen. And to a lot of uh, that's a that's a great description. I'm am a huge fan, and this is almost cliche at this point, but I think I'm am a really big fan of, of Werner Herzog and and his documentaries as well. And and man, I, I feel like huge. his particular documentaries, uh, to use that example of watching life happen, I feel like that's a it's almost a perfect description of of the documentaries that that he films from. You know, whether he's in in Vietnam walking through. You know uh, certain stories there or whether it's that grizzly man that grizzly man was just that was just mind-blowing the access to the footage and stuff that he had there and then combined with that just his his narration and his um his sort of uh his mysterious voice I feel like add the whole whole heap of, of stuff to it as well but there's a guy there's another guy I've really been enjoying lately um uh I don't know if you know Casey Neistat originally the YouTuber he was around years ago man I think he's living in LA now um, but he was he was more known as a YouTuber. He had like a really um, it was it was essentially just vlogs that he was filming. But his brother recently, another LA boy, has has started doing uh, like little short films. I guess you'd call them on YouTube. Very different style to Casey's. But um, it's just been uh, I've got a real appreciation for the craft of storytelling. As a start point but to see someone be able to capture like image as well and tie that together and then uh, I, I see like the narration is almost like a little ribbon on top I I was fascinated I guess to, to pick your brain about yeah that process of, of putting it all together and the other one I wanted to ask you about was uh, was obviously Rob Bell as a, I've been a fan of his since you know when he, he was a church pastor and I'd hear him speak and he just he used to film these documentaries Numa that my documentaries—they were like little short films. I'm sure you'd know about. Um, but Numa, my wife bought me those when I was about 21 because it was a little bit different to your average church sermon. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this guy—he just screams creative. I feel like uh, you watch what he does. You're like, all right, this guy's this guy's not interested in just putting together a 30-minute sermon, leaving it that, and we'll see you next week. Um, but the story with him, like, what was the what was the curiosity you had with with Rob? How was it that that, that actually came about?
1: Yeah. Um, I love that you mentioned Werner Herzog, by the way, I'm obsessively, I, yeah, just lifelong subscription to him as a person. And, uh, yeah, I, I probably am plagiarizing a lot of my (laughs) appetites and interest from him. Yeah. Um, he's incredible. Uh, yeah. I mean, Rob's the same way. Rob is just a uniquely, uniquely fascinating creative force. Um, we met at a birthday party that our daughters were attending, and uh, started surfing together. Actually, first, and um, we just started having these really nice conversations, and it was it was fascinating. I had grown up in very conservative religious uh, world, and and kind of moved away from a lot of that, and I, I guess I had real questions still about some of some of that, and then at the same time, that was right on the eve of like the twenty sixteen election here in the U S. and so. There was this new way or this this renewed way in which American Christianity was being weaponized by a political party mm-hmm. and to, to really fascinating and to me very dark ends. And so I think it sort of made me made me really understand how you couldn't understand America without understanding Christianity and you couldn't understand. Christianity without understanding America. Like it was, it was just this, um, it was this like pressure cooker of a moment. And, you know, at the time Rob was doing like these Bible belt tours in the Southeast and like this really, really you know, people were aligned around the building protesting and people had bullhorns and like just being around him a little bit. There was just a kind of wildness. There was a real wild energy to the whole thing. And um, yeah, I just found it really fascinating. I mean, I, I, I think those years with him uh, following around filming and stuff, like it, it cleared out a bunch of the baggage and a bunch of the kind of junk that I had been led to believe was like, take it or leave it. And it made me realize there's a lot of different ways people practice this faith over mm-hmm. many generations. And what I was experiencing was a very modern sliver of a very specific time and place. And um, it was cleansing for me, really was. It opened me up and I, it kind of refreshed me to the sense that this idea of people, there's a lineage of people who have been searching and people who have been as interested in the questions as the answers and people who have been open to the idea that there's still a lot that we don't know. And that you could, you could be curious and you could be serious about science. And you could also be open to wonder and awe, like that kind of all, you know, that just really, yeah, it helped me. It was a really interesting part of my journey for sure.
0: Yeah, man. I, I echo almost all of what you just said. I, I actually, I was a, I was a late goer to church. I was 19 I started going just out of curiosity and as a young guy I I struggled a lot with anxiety and and just not really knowing exactly you know how to how to deal with that like what do you what do you do with these feelings and and as a result I think it it just sort of led me to uh, you know that point that everyone gets to at some stage in their life where you start asking bigger questions and um, I just I think it was just out of accessibility I just rocked up at a church at at like my local town and I was like all right I'll just I'll see what these guys are about and at the start, like it was really fascinating, really interesting, and and meant like so many of so many of the lessons that I learned Like it, it's been amazing for my marriage. It's been amazing for, for my life. Like there's still there's still endless things uh, from the church that I, I applied to my own life that were were really helpful. But I found it fascinating with Rob as well because uh, for, for myself, I got to a point where it was like I still still like you. I had a lot of questions, um, and it was almost like if you asked them, you were. You're not following the uh. You're not following the right line. And it was yeah. It, yeah, it was yeah. kind of confronting to me. I was thinking, man, like I I I think I still believe in God, um, but I'm just not sure about this particular part. I'm not sure if I, you know. And there was just yeah. constant conversations, and, and I married a, a awesome chick who was um still quite passionate uh, about her faith and stuff at the time, and, but she was very open. She was very understanding, very encouraging. And then I started to listen a lot more to Rob Bell and see his journey, and and like you, man, I was like, wow, this is this is much bigger than what I'd ever anticipated. And it's a much more beautiful journey, I felt, in the way that he explained it. But still, it, was, it blows my mind that there could be so many people protesting such a powerful and life-transforming message. Like when you listen to the guy talk, which I have for years, I, I went and saw him when he was here in Melbourne. Um, I followed so much of his work. I, I never leave a conversation or a, a, a presentation of his going, oh man you know like far out i guess you know god's god's not that good or spirituality is not that i'm always the opposite i'm always like oh my gosh i'm so in, this is so much bigger and more beautiful more curious and, oh, more, i'm so more, much yeah, more yeah. curious yeah. it's oh. a it's a really interesting thing man so so is that so, so that was really encouraging to you as well yeah because to, to me I, I i sort of leave a lot of what rob does and i go ah oh, awesome like it's <laughs> just so yeah. much more beautiful
1: yeah, and I mean, it's like, yeah, no, I love that. And I think it is like, um, anytime anyone tells you to just kind of, you know, be less curious, less, ask less questions and think more like all the people in the group, there's, there's a problem. Hmm. And anytime someone tells you that there's only certain categories or certain places you can go looking for truth or beauty, there's a problem. And that's a lot of organized religion, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's incredible to, to have voices and people who say, um, we're all human beings on this planet. And we're trying to figure it out, trying to figure out what it means to be alive and what it means to love and what it means to. And there's helpful tools in that process everywhere. And you can you can read, you know, across the board. You can experience like, go out, go look for it, you know, go go test it, go. And you're right. Like the proof is in like, what makes you feel more alive? What makes you feel more compassionate? What makes you feel, um, yeah, more open to break cycles of violence and to not just have a, I don't know that, that stuff. It's like, that's the fascinating thing to me about any kind of spirituality is like the proof is in what is it, What does it do to you as a human? Like, does it make you more hostile and more closed, more us versus them or more open to the idea that like, we're in this thing together. We're on this one planet trying to figure out what's happening. Like the mystery of it is just mind boggling, which is why, which is why I love people like Rob, because I think in all the enlightened scientific progressive uh, world, sometimes there is a void of, of awe. And there is a sense of like we've broken down the whole world to you know Rob talks about we've broken down the whole thing to like ones and zeros, and yet there's something in our soul that like aches you know and yeah. I I love that there's that there's science and there's mystery and there's and it's all wrapped up in this thing together that we're experiencing it's like yeah it 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 was very it was very helpful to me and it's, what's so fun about making a film like that or any of these projects is like you know that's that's my life for a period of time and then you get to And and, and it really, it it shapes you and it moves you. And then you get to put it together and put it out there into the world and other people get to watch it and they get to be moved. Like it's been really, really cool. That film in particular, the responses to just across the board, you know, people who had just never felt freedom or never felt, um, had felt crazy. It felt like Mm -hmm. they were the only ones. It felt like, um, or people who had just kind of gone dormant in that area and kind of had been so hurt or so damaged that they had said never again, i don't know it's just it's that's that's the mystical beautiful part of creativity is you get to go do something that's your own curiosity and then the added gift of getting to hear that it meant something to other people it's just like it's insane i mean it's just so cool to me it's so true man it's so true the interesting thing with, with putting together a
0: film and, and you touched on this briefly earlier is obviously it's, it's something that uh, you know are you curious enough about it to, to be able to be captivated by it for a couple of years but Obviously, uh, well, if it was me putting together a film, there would always be some element in the back of my mind going, gee, I wonder if people are going to enjoy this. Like I'm, I'm hoping people like this. Is is a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. Is it going to be big? Is Netflix going to like it? There's so <laughs> many different elements, I'm sure, which which, which go into it. And I, uh, I perform stand-up comedy uh, over here in Melbourne. And one of the things I love about that is you get instant feedback. So, well, m- maybe not quite instant, but I'll sit at home and I'll write for an hour and uh, I'll write things that I find so funny and I'll put it down on paper and I'll structure it. <clears throat> and then I'll get in front of an audience and I'll say my joke and they'll go, what? Like <laughs> and it's it's either and, and this is something it just it makes me so like I, I just I, I can't quite get over how interesting it is that that's not necessarily a lot of the time it is a sign that your joke was rubbish. But a lot of the time I'll, I'll adjust it, change it slightly or sometimes not and go to a new room where the energy in that room is slightly different for whatever it, the, the demographic might be slightly younger or slightly older. And a joke that bombed the night before might kill the following yeah. night. But but that immediate feedback I find so helpful and um it's really encouraging if you can just get over how painful it feels to be in front of a room full of people who are looking at you like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe any part of this bloke's brain thought that was going to be funny. (laughs) But to go home and adjust it is, is helpful. But I guess um, apart from your team, apart from the people close to you who I guess are getting a little bit of a glimpse of what you're trying to put together, I guess you don't know whether your documentary is going to kill in terms of public response or if it's going to bomb in terms of public response. So how do you, uh, is that something you deal with or how do you navigate that uncertainty as you're, as you're piecing together, especially such a long project?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like, there's a lot of layers to that. I mean, on one level, yes, I'm trying to make things that resonate with people so that it is seen, you know, like um, I had a friend one time who was like, you yeah, know, I'm fine if my films are just seen in the local library. And I remember thinking like, I'm not like, I, I, it's like the John Lennon, like quit art school because people listen to rock and roll. I think part of the the beauty of film is like, I, I want people to see it like I want it to have an audience but that being said I can't start from that place I usually just start from a very personal place and I think I'm a huge lifelong fan of movies and I I do think a lot about like would I want to see this and would I would I pay to see this would I wait in line to see this would I seek this out like would I um so some of it's that, some of it's, as you mentioned, I work with a team of just incredibly, incredibly talented folks. And I've worked with them for many, many years now. So I, there, there is some calibration there sometimes. Um, I, and I also think you just learn as you go on. I mean, I still feel like I am right at the beginning of learning how to do this job. And, and I, I mean that very seriously, like there's still every time we finish a film, there's kind of this party that's like, wow, I learned this whole new thing that I didn't know before, like I learned this new, uh, you know, music, like I learned this new note or I, I this, this thing that I couldn't do on the last film I, I did on this film, but also I just discovered there's like three other things I need to learn going forward. You know, and it's like everyone is such a learning curve, which I think is what makes it so fascinating. You know, I still see films and you walk out and you just think like, Oh my God, I didn't know you could do that like i just it i'm sure you're that way with stuff where it's like you see a comedian you hear music whatever it is like you're just like what like that was possible yeah. so i think it's part of why i love this whole this whole journey is like it's a it feels like it could keep your fascination your whole life because you could never master it i think something about creativity and storytelling is like there is literally no ceiling it feels like there's just such infinite ability to work the craft over and over and over so for me, like, if I can be really honest, more of my mindset now has become, can they just, will, will they let me just do it again? Can I just do the next one? Like, can I just do it again? Because every time you finish up and you just think like, it's fascinating to watch how an audience responds to it. And it can be really fulfilling when it works and it can be tough in moments that you thought were going to work And it. But more than all that, it's just like, oh, I'm going to get it on the next one. Like, and still there's that feeling that's like, I don't know if you have this too. I think part of the beauty of creative stuff is like, I'll never forget one of our our early on films, uh, The True Cost, that you mentioned, um, you know, we had this incredible experience. I made it with a couple of these friends I'd grown up with. We had no money. We crisscrossed the world for a couple of years. We shot in like 12 countries. It was this unbelievably challenging film to make. And I ended up really sick in a hospital at one point, ran out of money, like all this stuff was happening. And so it was, it was electrifying, but it was also really, really hard. And then we got to take it to Um, this big film festival and that was a big deal and Netflix bought it and that was a really big deal and I remember sitting in Cannes in France that night when all that had gone down and I remember kind of feeling sad and I remember it like dawned on me that the process was over like the experience Mm -hmm. that I had actually been like well we got to get through this to get to that point where you get that like So now I'm just so, so, so in love with the process of making it. I'm so in love with what we learn. I'm so in love with like just the life that happens for me and our team and these experiences you have where you're scared and you're like right there on the edge of your ability and you don't know if it's going to work and you don't know. I mean, every time, like to your original question, like you still have that moment where you're like staying in a cheap motel and it's Thursday morning at 5 a.m. and you're you have that panic of like, is this interesting? Like, have I lost my mind on this one? But yeah, I just I think like, can we can we do it well enough to just get the right to do it again? Because yeah. every time you finish and you're sitting in the theater and you're like, oh, but the next one, the next one. It's almost like every creative pursuit has to be inherently disappointing because that disappointment, in a way, is what propels you to do it again. Yeah. Right. You you relate to that?
0: A hundred percent, man, on so many levels. Uh, To to your first point about the disappointment, I remember I ran my first marathon in 2018 and it was something that I trained for about 12 months to do and I was really excited. And uh, I just, I remember uh, after the race that night, I, I was sitting on my couch at home and I just felt like mildly depressed. And I was like, what the heck? Why am I upset? And and it was exactly what you just explained: like to be able to get up every day for a year and know that in on October the 14th, you're gonna run the Melbourne Marathon, so you're better prepared. And then to have that done and not have any other run in mind, I was a little bit like oh crap, but so many different like there's there's literally every element of my life I can I can relate to that. And Kurt Cobain has a, a really interesting little clip on YouTube where one of, the, one of the reporters asked him a question about how great it feels now that he's now that he's made it. And he's like, yeah, it's kind of less exciting than when I hadn't, because every day I'd have to get up and try and figure out whether my my, my new song was going to be relevant, going to be good. And uh, he's like, now I just know, like, I know people love it. He goes, I still, he was still speaking about how he he, he didn't have like 100% confidence that everything was going to be a hit. But for him, um, I think he explained exactly what you explained and what I relate to that, that that journey towards that that final project is the exciting part but it's it's something it's so easy to miss isn't it just in because so I look at you and miss. I go oh man how great is it that he has this documentary on Netflix like and I know I've spoken to enough people like you where I know that the the story doesn't end there and as you yeah. say like i look at you I'm like man this guy's just a filmmaker he just gets it but to hear that you still feel like you're in the beginning stage of learning it's it's it, it shouldn't it shouldn't still shock me but you know in a way it it really does. It's, uh. It's cool, man. And it often, it frustrates me sometimes because I'm like, all right, I'm 34 years old right now. Say I live to hundred, what's that? 66 more years. Is that 56 or 66 more years? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's like, that was so much I, I want to get done in, in that little amount of time. So I, I so relate to the idea that what you're doing can be a lifelong project. And sometimes I look, I'm like, come on, like surely, surely science can kick in and allow us to get a few more years out. Because I don't reckon there's enough time in that next 56 years or whatever it is um, to be able to get everything I want to done done and uh, yet yeah, want to do done. And uh, like the, the filmmaking thing I'm, I'm sure would be that even to a, a greater extent, because say the average film takes you like a, a year and a half or, or two years and all going really well. That's like, you know, 40, 40 more films <laughs> that you might get to do. So I guess you have to be selective with, with where you take your attention, but Um, you you sort of touched on it earlier, but, but what is that process of you going, um, all right, well, here's an idea to, all right, let's get this done because, uh, actually I'll ask the technical side after, but if that,
1: if it's a bit of a waffly question, man, but I hope you, I hope that made sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's different every time. I mean, it just, sometimes it's like a, it's, you know, like you on anything, I'm sure sometimes it hits you like a bolt of lightning. Um, for the true cost, I picked up a copy of the New York times and there was a picture of, um, this clothing factory that had collapsed in Bangladesh. And I realized in about 30 seconds reading the article, I'd never thought about where my clothes came from. Yeah. Boom, that was it. Like we were off, within a week, we were off into that world. And it started to unravel and took us to places we never imagined. But but that, that moment was very clear, you know? Um, earlier on, I had a moment where I lost my dad in a, a really sudden, unexpected way. And I was in this world of grief and I didn't understand. I didn't have, um, so we, we ended up making a, a film about that. And it was very reactive, just boom happened. Like we're in it, you know? Um, I think in some ways, as time goes on, some of those decisions get harder in the sense that like, you know, you know how much it costs, you know, you know, you know, now more like at the beginning, you're like, I, I have no bearing on like, you know, how much this is going to take from me. (laughs) I think after you do it a few times, you start to realize like, Whoa, this is, you know, every, every one of these things is a major commitment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of beautiful, you know, like I, I guess one of the things I was thinking about when you were just talking, is like, I think we do a lot of disservice because I think it's because we want to act like we're more talented than we are, but I think we talk down a lot of the clumsiness of it when we talk Mm -hmm. about these things. And, you know, when I look back, um, I, I'm, we, we have this kind of personal milestone, like my wife and I, um, moved out to Los Angeles from the East Coast 10 years ago in January, we had three kids at the time and one on the way and we had no job and we had all of our stuff in the car. And it was just really like in our life story, it was a monumental moment for us. And that'll be that'll be a decade um, at the end of this month. And so I've, I've been thinking about this a little bit. I've been thinking about how like when I look back over the last decade, it looks unbelievably beautiful. Like it's, it's actually like, it's shocking the stuff that worked and the stuff that didn't work and the things I had to learn and things that prepared me for the next thing. And the things that like, and all the while, like my kids are growing up and we're getting to define our life in these seasons where we're making these things. We could do a celebrate them when they come out. But at the time I'm like white knuckling it. And I feel like it is chaos and confusion. And like, even today, I mean, even like right now today, we're, we're trying to line up some financing for a new project. It's really hard. It's really stressful. <laughs> we're playing Russian roulette on like when we start shooting, like how much we need. But, you know, it's like, I think for anyone out there, like it just, um, I think that's just part of the deal. I think that's part of the wager is if you're going to be a person who goes searching, if you're going to be a person who pushes it, who really pushes it, who doesn't just do the same thing over it, but every time kind of says, okay, we did that. Now, like, what's the next thing? If you're open, if you're opening yourself up to, like, okay, like, what, what is this next thing? Then they sort of find you. Like, they just have this way of finding you. And then the question is, like, do you have the guts? to do it, to see it out. And that's a hard, that's a hard, hard thing. (laughs) I find, I find in my life so much less maybe is like inspiration and so much more is execution. And so much of the, the, of what I'm becoming increasingly fascinated by is the process and how I can get better at that process rather than like waiting for some you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's becoming 100%. less um, abstract and more like, how do I get a really great team of people together? How do I create an environment where they can do their very best work? How do I gently steer us in the direction of things that are interesting and have relevance? And I don't know, I that's hard enough. Like I can spend my life doing that, right? It's really true, man. It's really true. It's funny as well.
0: Whenever I sit down with with someone who's got a good story to tell, it's very rarely... Uh, the, the the finish line that I'm super interested in. It's when they were trying to get to a set and a car broke down or they were late for their plane or they lost their passport or whatever it is. You go, oh my gosh. And as you say, like a, I, I relate to what you said about that decade. You look back and it looks like this beautiful, smooth journey, but like the days within that decade can can get quite wild. It's a, yeah, it's a, an interesting experience. I think my dad, someone used to say to me that everyone loves the Rocky story once it's written. And it's mm. like the story of Rocky Balboa, like he, wow. he becomes the world That's champion. Good. But the, the story of him becoming the world champion, you look at it and you're like, yeah, I'm not convinced that that's actually something that I want to participate in because it looks like there's a lot of dark days in between there between you know realizing you're gonna you're gonna try to achieve this um and to still, i mean it's a nice little example from the fictional world but like so much fiction it, it applies beautifully to our, our our day-to-day life and that's something that helps me in in those days where i'm a little bit like oh my gosh this is just chaotic it's never going to come together it's like oh well um whether you're Andrew morgan rocky balboa or someone in between there's a there, there's those days that you have to navigate through but um Man, you were saying that you're uh, you're in the middle of a a project at the moment. What is it that you guys are uh, you're putting together?
1: Um, well, we're doing a project right now that is sort of set on the backdrop of the ultra endurance world. Actually, I thought about you when you were talking about running earlier. Um, there's a sort of uh, mythologically large and semi-secret event that's going to take place that will sort of test the. <laughs> the limits of what is physically capable on this planet. And um, we have been following a few of those athletes for um, a few years now. And I'm really making a film that is about what it, um, I, I got really interested in that world because I got really, I started reading these stories and hearing these rumors about, you know, people doing hundred mile, like just insane things. And I just was kind of like, what what goes into a person doing that? Like what, what kind of human being does that and you know the the stories that we met and these athletes are just they're they're just insane you know um overcoming mental illness and addiction and um outrunning demons and finding real healing and at the same time you know kind of like that why do we go to the moon thing of like there's some quality in human beings that just want to explore and they want to push it and they want mm. to see and those kinds of people who skate really far out on the edge just make fascinating fascinating film subjects so yeah we've been we've been in that off and on and it got delayed because of the pandemic which added this whole extra hurdle and challenge for all these folks and um we're going to get down to filming the actual biggest part of the film which is this uh this event that's coming up so yeah it's uh it's so exciting man i i i I, I just can't, I can't describe how much I love it and how much I love these people and how, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a special one,
0: man. So how many
1: people will be taking part in the event? Is it a public event that people know about it or is it something that. It's like an invite only thing. It's gonna, they're, they're only going to do it once. Um, it's, uh, it'll be 10, 10 folks total. We've been filming and following four. Wow. Are you allowed to talk about what the event is or, or the distances and things, or is that sort of on the, on the DL at the moment? It's supposed to be on the DL a little bit, but we'll, um, I'll have to come back. We'll talk more about when it's like. Uh, oh, you got, it's so you got me so interested. You got me so interested.
0: On um, I actually, I, I interviewed James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy years ago, because I was just yeah, fascinated yeah. in um, like, <laughs> just the, I, I don't know whether this ultra event is sort of on the same sort of scale as that maybe more, but I, I remember hearing that and, there were so many elements of that where I'd hear. I was like, okay, on a physical sense, I don't understand how it's possible. But more than that, on a technical sense, like you have to, so for 14 hours on the first day, you're going to be in Hawaii and then you've got eight hours to recover and sleep, but also get to LA because you have to start your next Ironman at three in the next morning. So I think as a person who uh, whose wife does all the admin and flight booking and You know, whatever makes going on a holiday possible, because I just refuse to do (laughs) it. I refuse to do it. The idea of uh, trying to navigate your way through fifty days of that is uh, is horrific. So I've certainly got an appreciation for that. But you're right, man. It's interesting how many people in the um in the in the running world or the sports world use their use their sport as as the escape or um, as the opportunity just to recalibrate, isn't it? It's a, a I guess. Yeah, for the same reason that I I, I now surf is, is the same reason that I used to run in a in a lot of ways. It's just nice to to get away and put the phone down for an hour and uh and, and just come back and recalibrate. That's a that's an exciting one, man. Is it a? It, do you know roughly when when we're gonna be able to watch that one? Is that twelve months down the track or
1: yeah, it'll be it'll be probably the end of this year that it's yeah. all done and put together. But yeah, no, I agree with you. And it's fascinating because we started it before the pandemic and I feel like even more so now. I think a lot of us are just um Yeah, a lot of us are asking those questions that we talked about at the beginning, you know, of what does it look like to be a healthy, alive person in a world that can feel chaotic and stressful? And um, it's been interesting to start on that journey before the world got turned upside down. And then now even more so it's like, man, I think we're all, we're all asking some of these questions about what does it look like to overcome adversity? What does it look like to, um, and there's just something, you know, you know it's better than I do as a runner, like there's just something so so visceral and so physical about athletic um, accomplishments when they take that kind of investment that it's like a, it's an outward personification of something that we're all after in our own lives. So to be able to capture that in a, in a filmic way is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so fun, man. I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. Dude, there's,
0: there's so many more things, obviously, I'd love to talk to you about. And if you would, I'd love to touch base with you again in, a, in, in 12 months, once the, the, the documentary is released and, and we could do a round two. Before we go, maybe just as our a, a, a last one, this is a very random pivot. But as a bloke who now has one kid at home, 18 months old, I am mind blown by how people, uh, time management's become a whole, a whole other skill set that I've had to try and navigate. And I'm pretty sure you've got four four kids, is that right? That's right. Yeah. So the idea of four kids—I think yours are, are now a bit older than what my little man is—but I've got an appreciation for that that uh, that navigation and that that time structure that you have to be able to put together to make sure that the the family's looked after and, and, and getting dad, but also the projects are getting done. Like, how, how did that how did that world work for you? Was
1: that just a learn on your feet once number one, two, three, and four yes. came along? It is a learn on my It's funny. A really dear friend of mine, uh, just had, uh, his, his, he and his wife just had their first baby. So I was just texting him right before we started mm-hmm. talking. It's, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's the greatest thing in, in the world. And I was, I met my wife in high school. We married very young and we had kids pretty young. And so our family is kind of interesting because our kids, we have four and they're very close together in ages. So in a lot of ways, it feels like we have kind of been growing up while they've been growing up. And, um, They also there's a part of them that's kind of raising each other. There's a very like pack mentality in our house, which is like very fun and chaotic and wonderful on the good days and horrible on the bad days. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think what's been the most fun for me is like, I think the times where I've been able to have them be a part of the stuff that we're doing have been really really powerful. And some of the best memories I have, like I, you know, you talked about the heretic. I I took our youngest son on the road with me for a good bit of, of while we were filming that and. So like, we always have that, you know, we have that, like we did that together. We just made a scripted feature um, here during the pandemic. We went up to Oregon and shot this movie and, you know, we brought all, all the kids, their school had gone to zoom. So like they came with us and they were on set with us. And so then when they get to go to the premiere, like they, I don't know, it's just like, it's really beautiful and really special. And I, I mean, I don't know anything about time time management, but what I do, <laughs> <Me either. laughs> what, I, what I do, what I do know about is just like, it is, um, I don't know. I just think it's fun. I, and I, I'm sure you're feeling this already. I feel like every generation does the best they can. And I think that we, it it, it builds on itself in in the best ways. So I think there are just times where uh, people who are our age are, are just, we're coming at it from a little bit less of a traditional place. And I think as work gets a little less traditional where it's like, I don't go to work with a briefcase from nine to five. I I'm much more now more than ever, like in my house and around my kids. And like the lines are more blurred between who's learning from who and, and who is inspiring who. And, um, man, I just love it so much. I, I, I think it's transformed. I mean, it's transformed every part of who I am as a human being. And I think it's absolutely transformed the way I, make anything you know i just i i I think through a very different perspective than i would have otherwise yeah and i also feel very connected to people like you know when you say that like i really when you say 18 months i'm just like wow like i instantly think back to like what that moment is and even if you know we're filming in other countries like you know anyone like the fact that we're, we're a lot of us are raising children is such a uniquely connecting humanizing softening yeah, I don't know. It just uh, nothing, nothing makes you as like relatable to another human. as It's like, so if, true.
0: It's so true. You know? I noticed when, uh, when my little man was first born, I, I'd never noticed parents before. I never cared about their kids. <laughs> Someone would tell me about their kid. I'm like, dude, I don't care. Like I'm so <laughs> bored by your dumb story about your stupid kid. <laughs> but now I always catch myself. I go, people go, what's going on? Like, go, man. So Charlie, he's like, he's learning how to say bus but he also smashes our coffee cups and it's hilarious and it's so frustrating. And, and I see their face glaze over. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm that guy. Like, this is horrific. I'd like to apologize <laughs> to, to everyone because I'll get five minutes into a rant and I'll see the person checking their text messages. Like I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, dude. Anyway, I'm going to let you go. Cause I, I know you're a busy man. And uh, I said an hour, so I don't want to go over that, but mate, it's, uh, it's been so good to catch up with you, man. And, uh, and hear about your life and what you're doing. And uh, I'll touch base with you again in the future. Once, uh, once this ultra event's done and out, and uh, mate, it's just a uh, yeah, it's just an honour to sit down and, and chat with you. So I really appreciate you making the time.
1: Of course, man. This man my day.